Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode number 10 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Nathan Johnson. And today, I want to talk about seeing Jesus upon every page of Scripture. And in so doing, I want to give you three of my favorite stories of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Let's dive in. I firmly believe that all of Scripture, both the New and the Old Testaments, point to Jesus Christ. While Jesus' name may not be in the Old Testament, Ultimately, God is revealing Jesus and his work upon the cross on every page of the Old Testament. Whether you look at the law, the prophets, creation, the Hebrew feasts, the tabernacle, or how God structured the Hebrew society, you see glimpses of Jesus throughout the entire Old Testament, leading us to the revelation of Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross in the New Testament. So let me lay the groundwork here. In John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we understand that John is talking about Jesus himself. But get this, he was the Word, and that Word was in the very beginning. Now, Revelation 19.13 says this, talking about Jesus, it says, and his name is called the Word of God. It's an interesting thought. But when Jesus came in human form, he literally was the word of God in flesh. In other words, it's like he took the entire scriptures and clothed it with his flesh. And it's like, whoa, what you see happening in the Bible is literally lived out upon the life of Jesus Christ. Now, you see that several times throughout the Gospels. For example, Luke chapter 4, verse 17 through 21 Jesus goes into the synagogue, and this is what it says. And Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was Jesus saying? 
He opens up the book of Isaiah. He reads this incredible passage. And then he looks at those who are in, a, in the synagogue and says, folks, do you not realize that sitting in front of you is the fulfillment of that passage? That's my life. I have come. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are being oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is now, and I'm standing in front of you. Isn't that amazing? Oh, <laughs> what an incredible thought. That same idea shows up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, I wish we had time to really dive into this passage. It's really, really rich. However, here's the emphasis. Jesus didn't just come to throw out the Old Testament. What, he's come, what he came to do is to literally fulfill it. That he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That when I go to the Old Testament and I see and I study the law and the prophets, what am I to see? Oh, I'm to see Jesus because he is the fulfillment of that. In John chapter 5 verse 39, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, You search the scriptures, speaking of the Old Testament, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you're studying the Old Testament. You're, you're diving in and you're, and you're looking at all the words. And, and in fact, you know this song. You know this thing. You've memorized it. And yes, you think you have eternal life by studying it. But Jesus declares these words, this, this, the scriptures, the Old Testament is a testifier of me. It is declaring and testifying of who I am. So you dive into the Old Testament and what do you see? Whoa, it's a revelation of who Jesus is. John chapter 5, verse 46, Jesus says, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for Moses wrote about me. Wow, isn't that a crazy thought? Here's Moses 1,500 years before Jesus. And Jesus says, whoa, do you not realize that if you believe Moses, which obviously the Pharisees would have, that you would believe me. Why? Because Moses, when he was writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, he was writing about me. What is the law all about? Jesus. Again, toward the end of Luke chapter 24, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's on this road to Emmaus. He sees two of, two of the disciples and he looks at them and he says, hey, what, why are you so downcast? And of course, you know, they, they didn't recognize him. And they said, well, <laughs> haven't you been in Jerusalem? Don't you know what's going on? The one we thought who was the Messiah, well, hey, he was just crucified. And, and we're not sure what to do. Now get this. <laughs> Jesus looks at them in verse 25 and says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, again, speaking of the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. He literally opened up the scriptures to them and beginning at Moses, so Genesis through Deuteronomy, and literally walking through all the prophets, he began to expound and explain to them in all of the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. Do you recognize that the entire Old Testament points to Jesus and his work upon the cross. 
that when I read and when I study the Old Testament, what am I to see? Wow, I'm to see Jesus. Nancy Guthrie wrote a great book called The One-Year Book of Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament. And I just want to read a little clip or a little section from her introduction to this book. She says this, Most of my life I have read and been taught that the Old Testament is a series of life lessons or faith lessons. I knew that the Old Testament spoke of Christ, but in my mind that was limited to the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. I did not see that in fact all of the Old Testament is preparing us to understand who Christ is and what he came to do. What I did not see is that the Old Testament tells a story that only finds its completion in Jesus Christ. I did not see that Jesus is the offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the ark that protects the faithful remnant from judgment. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the blessings promised to Abraham. He is the greater Isaac, the beloved son of the father, offered as a sacrifice whom was not spared from the knife. Jesus is the stairway that Jacob saw in the dream of which God comes down to earth. Jesus is the greater Joseph, the one whose suffering put him in place to become savior to all who come to him for food amidst the famine of the world. And those are just a few of the highlights from Genesis. Jesus is the reality to which all of the sacrifices and offerings and festivals point. He is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and temple, making his home among us. He is the greater Moses who brings his people out of slavery to sin. He is the greater Israel who was not disobedient in the wilderness. He is the greater son of David whose kingdom will last forever. He is the greater Solomon who is the prince of peace. He is the weeping prophet, the greater Jonah who runs towards sinners rather than away from them. He is the bridegroom, the branch, and Isaiah's child who is to be born. Wow, what a great introduction. In other words, what Nancy Guthrie is saying is Jesus is on every page of scripture. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. Over and over in the book of Hebrews, it gives this idea of what the Old Testament was, was that it was serving as a pattern, a copy, an example, a shadow of that which was to come. Now, there's this neat word called a Christophany. Now, how I'm using it here is that it's the example, it's the picture, it's it's that shadow of Jesus in the Old Testament that points to the greater work of Jesus in the new. Now, whether it be through prophecy or symbolism or foreshadow or allegory or types, we see Jesus in the Old Testament. And that's what sometimes we call a Christophany. For example, in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Paul says, do you know what Adam was? Adam was a type pointing to the realities of the fulfillment of Jesus. What Adam did not do correctly, Jesus came and fulfilled. In fact, Paul says over and over that Jesus is the second Adam, meaning what? That the first Adam was a picture. He was an example. He was a shadow. Or as he says in Romans 5.14, he was a type pointing to the one who was to come. So in this case, Adam was serving as a Christophany for the reality of what Jesus was to do. Now again, Adam was not Jesus. Adam sinned. Adam had all these problems. Hey, that's true. But Adam was a finger. He was an example, a picture. He, He was really pointing to the coming Messiah saying, I did it wrong, but there's one that's coming who is going to do it right. So that lays the foundation of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. 
And in future episodes, we'll come back to this because I love studying the Old Testament in light of Jesus. But for today, let me give you three of my favorite Christophanies. These are three ways that Jesus is seen in the Old Testament. Now, we're not going to spend much time here, but let me just give you a sample of just the richness of Jesus in the Old Testament. Number one, it's what I call the lineage. In Genesis chapter 5, there's, a, there's this odd, seemingly unimportant genealogy of Adam. Now, we realize it's significant as it relates to the line of Jesus or the lineage of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, but why is it that we take so much of Genesis chapter 5 outlining just this so-and-so begot so-and-so? Why is this genealogy in Genesis chapter 5 so important? Now, what is profound is that when you begin to look at the meaning of each of the names, the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to be seen. For example, the first name mentioned obviously is Adam. And Adam means man. Seth, his son, his name means appointed. Enosh means mortal, frail, or miserable. Kenan or Canaan, however you want to pronounce that, means sorrow or dirge or el elegy. Mahalel means the blessed God. Jared, his son, is from a verb which means shall come down. Enoch, Jared's son, means to teach or to commence. Methuselah, which was Enoch's son and the longest person who ever lived, means his death shall bring. Lamech means despairing. And Noah means comfort and rest. So when we just look at the first 10 people in the line of Adam, what we hear is actually an incredible picture of the gospel of Christ. So let me just read it to you, just giving you the definitions of the names. Man is appointed for mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching us that his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. Do you see Jesus in that? That we're appointed for mortal sorrow. We are appointed for death, but the blessed God is going to come down. His name was Jesus. And he's going to teach us that his death will bring us the despairing comfort and rest. Isn't that incredible? Now you could say, well, that's all accidental. Oh, that was just coincidence. Wow, are you kidding? That is not coincidence. In fact, if you were to look at the entire lineage of Jesus Christ, you would see a picture of the gospel. For greater detail of this, we recently produced a short film with my friend Eric Ludi through BraveheartedChristian.com that walks through the entire lineage of Jesus and shows how the redemptive story of the gospel is seen. Now, for more information about how to watch this video for free, as well as to see this list in written format, check out the show notes for this episode at deeperchristian.com forward slash 10 for episode number 10. Now, the second Christophany I want to quickly share with you is the Oliphant Tov. Now, the second Christophany I want to talk to you about is what I would call the Oliphant Tov. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, there's this incredible statement talking about Jesus. It says, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look upon me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now the writers of the New Testament come back to this verse and they take that section that says, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. And they say, don't you realize this is talking about Jesus and his work upon the cross. But here is what is so phenomenal. When you go into Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, 
there is a word that is not translated in this, in this passage. Now, in all fairness, it makes sense that this word is not translated because there's technically not any word that would make sense of what to translate it into. In fact, it's just two little Hebrew letters. It's the Aleph and the Tav. Now, if you don't know Hebrew, Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and Tav is the last letter of the alphabet. And several times throughout the Old Testament, the Aleph and the Tav appear together, but they're not translated because obviously there's no, there's no English equivalent for what this would even mean. But get this, the word Aleph Tav, it can have four meanings in Hebrew, but it's similar to saying Alpha and Omega. See, it's the first and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, just like Alpha and Omega is the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Or it's like saying A and Z in the English alphabet. Now, if you come into the New Testament, John uses this language over and over again, specifically in the book of Revelation. John says that Jesus was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Well, who is he? Well, he is the Alpha and the Omega. In fact, the name of Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Now, in the Hebrew Old Testament, you wouldn't see Alpha Omega because it was written in Hebrew, not Greek. What you would see in the Hebrew is the Aleph and Tav. So get this. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, the verse reads like this. And I will pour on the house of David and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Obviously speaking of Jesus. They will look upon me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. But again, there's a word, Olive Tav, that we don't translate that's hidden in the passage. And it comes right after the word me. So let me use the Olive Tav idea from the Hebrew and put it back into our passage. Now, again, remember, it's just like saying the Alpha and the Omega, the A and the Z. Listen to this. Then they will look upon me, the Olive and Tav, whom they have pierced. Do you realize that not only does this passage speak about Jesus, that they will look upon Jesus whom they pierced, but even in the Hebrew text, there's the idea that it's Jesus. Listen to this. They will look upon me, the Aleph and the Tav, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the A and Z. They will look upon me whom they have pierced. Wow, isn't that incredible? In fact, if you want to see another one of these, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, the Aleph and Tav, created the heavens and the earth. Again, Aleph and Tav is not translated in any, in any of our English translations, and yet it's there right after the word Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim, the Aleph and the Tav, created the heavens and the earth. And we know from Ephesians and John that the one who is speaking forth creation into existence was Jesus himself. All things were made by him and for him and through him, as John chapter 1 says. So do you realize that in the Old Testament, they will look upon me, the Aleph and Tav, the Alpha and Omega, speaking about Jesus, whom they have pierced. Do you not see Jesus in that? Wow, I just stand amazed at the reality of, of just this simple first and last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which in the New Testament, the writers give that name, give those, give those two letters as a name to Jesus. They, it's only seen here in the Hebrew Old Testament 
as a picture of who Jesus is. Wow. Now, the third Christophany is probably my favorite. There's a story in the book of Joshua. Uh, Moses had just died. Joshua, they've crossed over the Jordan River, and they've encamped outside the city of Jericho. And Joshua, as an older man, he looks at these two guys and says, Hey, why don't you go into Jericho and spy out the city? Just kind of see what's going on and and see if, if we're able to take it. And so these two men sneak into Jericho and begin to spy out the place. Now, along the way, they came across this harlot, this prostitute by the name of Rahab. Now, why these two good Jewish guys end up in this prostitute's house, we don't know. Now, we do know it's all pure. There wasn't any scandalous stuff happening. But while they were talking to Rahab, they find out that everyone in Jericho is just trembling. They're just scared of the fact that the Israelites were on the doorstep. Now, along this process, Rahab helps them escape from the people of Jericho. Now, Rahab asked them, and she said, look, I know that your God is going to conquer us. Hey, everyone in the city is trembling. Everyone knows that your God is going to literally win the battle. And she literally asked them, hey, would you remember me? Hey, hey, could, I'm pleading for my life here. Hey, would you, would you somehow do something and literally save me? I'm going to help you escape. Could you somehow return the favor in a sense? Now, it's interesting. It says that the two men hand Rahab a scarlet thread. It was this piece of fabric, if you will. And uh, they said, hey, when we come, put this thing in your window and you and your family, if you remain in the house, you will be saved. Now you say, what was the salvation? What was the sign of salvation for Rahab? Just as the blood of the lamb was a sign of salvation for the Israelites coming out of Egypt 40 years earlier, the scarlet thread in the window was the sign of salvation for Rahab. Now, I think that's a beautiful picture of Jesus. We know that Jesus is the Passover lamb and that sign of salvation where they got to escape the the slavery of Egypt and enter into the wilderness and eventually move into the promised land. That Passover lamb, according to the book of Hebrews, was Jesus, that he is that Passover lamb. And the sign of salvation, the blood of the lamb is truly Jesus. It's his blood that we are saved. But you see that same imagery here in the scarlet thread, the scarlet cord, the scarlet fabric that they gave Rahab to hang in her window. Now, to take this one step further, it's interesting to note how they made scarlet fabric back in antiquity. There's this thing called the scarlet silkworm. And from what I've been told and the studies I've been able to come come across, the scarlet silkworm, when she was ready to give birth to her babies, she would climb up upon a tree and she would embed herself permanently upon the tree. In other words, she would die upon the tree giving birth to her offspring. And as the babies were about to be hatched, it was literally in her death, she would literally allow her blood to ooze out of her body and it would be an incubator for the birth of the baby silkworms. Now, the men of antiquity would go around and they would see these splotches of red on the bark of a tree and they would go and they would literally take the silk from the scarlet silkworm and it would be so mixed with the blood That's how they got scarlet thread in antiquity. Now, I don't know if you see even just in that, the picture of Jesus. But in the Psalms, Jesus says that I'm a worm and no man, that Jesus is a worm. Well, what kind of worm is he? Oh, he's a scarlet silkworm. Now, can you imagine? Here is Rahab and she's holding the sign of her salvation. It is a scarlet cord, a scarlet fabric. 
And literally, how the fabric was made, that the scarlet in the fabric was literally made through the death of a scarlet silkworm hanging and planted upon a tree, giving life to the next generation. That's a picture of Jesus. And do you see that Rahab and her salvation and her life and, and the salvation of her family, well, well, what caused that? What was the sign of that? Oh, it was the scarlet thread in the window. Do you recognize that Rahab was a Gentile prostitute? And either one of those should have kept her out of having any relationship, any salvation, any opportunity to be with the Israelites. And yet what is so marvelous to me is that not only was she saved from the destruction of Jericho, but she became a part of the line of Jesus. And Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was Rahab the prostitute, whose sign of salvation was a scarlet thread in the window, and she was saved because of the thread. Wow, that is a sign of Jesus. See, he is my scarlet silkworm. And just as the Israelites in Egypt had a sign of salvation, which is the blood of the lamb, and just as Rahab in Jericho had a sign of salvation, which was a scarlet cord, so too I have a sign of salvation, and that is a man called Jesus hanging upon the tree called the cross. And it was the blood of Jesus that literally set me free and brought forth life. Man, I love that story. So there you have it. Three of my favorite Christophanies in the Old Testament revealing Jesus Christ. So let me give you a challenge. The next time you read through the Old Testament, be purposeful to look for Jesus Christ. Now, please note that in proper Bible study and reading, we must first examine any passage in its context. Every time we see the color red does not mean it points to the blood of Christ. Not every time we see a tree in the Old Testament does it suggest the cross. But as we study a passage and see the truth of God's word in light of its context, it is amazing how you begin to see the New Testament fulfilled, focus on Jesus and his work upon the cross throughout every page of scripture. Again, don't look beneath every rock in hopes of finding Jesus. Allow him to reveal himself to you as you study God's word in context. As Paul, Peter, and the writer of Hebrews declares, the Old Testament is full of shadows, patterns, copies, examples, and types, revealing and pointing toward the New Testament fulfillment of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the powerful work of Jesus upon the cross. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including all the Bible passages and outline of this episode and links to other resources and articles, including the free video of the lineage of Jesus Christ, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 10 for episode number 10. And if you enjoyed the podcast thus far, would you do me a favor and leave a rating and review on iTunes? It would be an incredible blessing as iTunes uses these star ratings and reviews as a way to get the podcast in front of other people. So if you think others should hear this podcast, I'd encourage you to take 30 seconds and go to the ratings and review section of this podcast on iTunes. For a link, please see the show notes. Now, I'm excited to join you next time as we behold Jesus and get into his word. Until then, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.